Mic is good. Camera, lovely. Is mic coming or? When is, is mic coming? Is it just us? But when I, I traumatized Mike yesterday, like actually traumatized him, I feel a bit bad. Who's Mike? So my, I live with a man called Mike who has actually featured on the podcast briefly, naked, walking past my open door. So, well, hang on. How can you feature on something that is audio only? While walking past your door. So he was mentioned, but also there is a there is a clip of him just running past somewhere. It's about two frames. So if you want to go back through our YouTube archive and find that clip of Mike's Willie, you're very welcome to. Because I, I think it's a bit weird. Yusuf doesn't know I'm going to mention this. No, I think it's a bit weird that Yusuf and Mike have a very, very naked policy. While So that they're, they're not, I should, I should preface, they're not in a relationship. Thank you for <laughs> prefacing that. <laughs> well i think it would change it a bit right yeah, well, it would change it materially i think if you were in a relationship it would almost be not worth mentioning mm. but both of you have, have girlfriends that are in separate relationships the girlfriends don't live in the house yeah scenes scene set yusuf and mike have a very n- naked policy when they when they live together and i feel like for for two guys in their 30s mike in his 30s yeah uh 28. So no. (laughs) For two guys in their late 20s, early 30s, that's a little unusual. What do you think, Yusuf? I've always been in naked households. And so it's just been part of the... From... And it it saved me medical complications. If you've heard the story about Lemon Ball, which I'm not going to go into today, but... That was discovered because I was coming out of the shower naked and my flatmate at the time said, Yusuf, that's quite big. You need to do something about it. If it wasn't for that. Oh, so many follow-on questions from that. Mainly like, well, there's one of two things, isn't there? One, one is it was so big that he, it was sort of out it, you know, below his eye line and he still noticed. <laughs> In which case, like, what on earth... How on earth did you not realize that it was too big? So the answer to that question is just pure male denial, male medical (laughs) denial. And I've seen it so much in patients where they'll have a problem and they'll just refuse to see a doctor, especially like middle-aged Geordie men who will only come to you once things are really bad. And then it might be too late. Mm. So don't do that. Don't do that. Especially if you are a middle-aged Geordie man. Seek for goodness medical sake. attention. Yeah. <laughs> Immediately. Um, okay, so that's the answer. So he wasn't like <clears throat> eye to eye. No. Looking looking at it. He he was it was it it was so so significantly big that he was like, wow. Like in the same way that if a bear ran across the, the room to my right now, I'd notice the bear without looking at it. Yeah, that it's that sort that of severe. Well, the I suppose the other thing is that Going to stay with my friend James in Basel in Switzerland and then going to Vienna and, and, and just kind of traveling around going to the, the, the sauna spa places in these European countries mm. made me realize how prudish and British I am about nakedness because we were sat there with our like little towels over, our, over ourselves and legs crossed and being really like 
really coy about everything. And you've just got these like Swiss people just walking around bollock naked in these spas, just completely. They just don't care. Just being very German about the whole thing. And you're like, well, it's strange. Cause I, I, yeah, like I think at, at uni, certainly like in any kind of like sporting context in the changing rooms, like in change rooms in the gym, I have no objection to it whatsoever. But there is something about like walking around the house. I just feel like I shouldn't do it. And I can't define why. I think because you've got windows and neighbors can see you and you, they can still try and prosecute you for being. A, really? Yeah. What, what do they call it? For being a, a revealer, a being a. Yeah. <laughs> I did have a, a, a situation when I was younger where like I walked from my bedroom to the shower, which involved walking across the landing and the landing had like a, a window that was like hip height and below that was on the other side of it. On the other side of the road was like two young girls looking out the window. And I realized I was naked. I realized halfway across the window that they were at the, like looking through so I just hit the deck, just instinctively like hit the deck. I'm like, so I'm lying on my back. Absolute solid snake on, style. On, on, yeah. Um, did, did you so hear maybe, the, you know, the guard the, noise? <laughs> yeah. Didn't throw the chaff grenade. That was the error. For anyone who's played uh, Metal Gear Solid back in like what, 2002? What a game. PlayStation 2, Metal Gear Solid, the first one where the, it was a big box with two discs in it oh that was ps1 yeah the original was it ps1 oh my god yeah it's great um so so yeah this is the this is the naked situation i mean to be fair in changing rooms old men are aggressively naked like they'll have one foot propped up on a bench like drying their ball sack with a hairdryer and it's just like come on that's yeah, gritty, talcum it? powder all over the place yeah that's just when you, you've just been like your your pride has just been ground down over the years and you just don't care anymore. But it's almost like it's actively trying to... A, a display. Yeah. Mm. The, um, the baths in Budapest, there's like the famous baths in the center of Budapest. Are, I've never seen more of that stuff concentrated in one area than in the baths in Budapest. Just Europe. And they're all just playing chess. Yeah. And like, um, what's the other game? Uh, drafts. Drafts. Yeah. Um, speaking of Budapest, we've both been on holiday. I'd like you to summarize your holiday in three things. And I'm going to do that for where I went. So I went to San Francisco. And my th the three takeaway themes, I feel like we should we could do an entire podcast about both of them, I imagine. But there is a... first one's quite like serious and sad, but there is a huge out of control homelessness problem in America, uh, especially in San Francisco. And it is eye-opening and awful. That's one thing. Go on. This was, because so Alex from Team Propane mentioned that the, the UK has a higher per capita rate of homelessness. But mm. we think it's probably, as you say, because there's a lot more unregistered homelessness in San Francisco. Because you were saying just the pure numbers don't match up with that. Yeah, well, I think there's no, um, and I don't know this, like, so apologies to any US listeners, I might, might, might be getting this wrong, but I don't think there's any, like, welfare state provision, like, there's no, like, job seekers allowance or anything like that, I don't think. Um, but, like, we were warned by Border Patrol. What, is it Border Patrol? Yeah. 
that sounds like something like police like patrolling the border, stopping people from uh, like smuggling control. things in. Yeah, passport <laughs> control. Um, like he warned us and was like, why have you come here? It was awful. So that was the first thing, which was very sad. And that I'll move on. The second thing was everything smells like weed. There is such a strong smell of weed everywhere you go. Like people will get in the lift or the elevator. They're not smoking. They don't have anything visibly on them, but they just stink of weed and it's so intense. And you get it like walking into shop because it's all legal uh, in California. Yeah, so like, pervasive. there's dispensaries and everywhere. Um, so that just makes me think like, what does that do to like productivity and GDP and all these sorts of things? Like it feels like it would make it go down, but... You think so? And then the, the final thing, which you would be furious about, is that you cannot pay oh, with con contactless. I've, I've told you this. Oh, you can't pay contactless. Terrible. You can't even pay chip and pin most places. <laughs> you have to sign a, like a check or a receipt. And the way that you pay for stuff is so surreal. Like they give you the, they give you the receipt. In the same way that, you know, in like a restaurant, they give you the bill in like a little leather wallet. And then you say, oh, can we have a card machine, please? Like you put the card on the, on the receipt and they take it away and they come back and give it to you and they go, oh, it's done. Yeah, like, how did you do that? <laughs> like what authority do you have to just, but apparently like they're just set up to just swipe the card and it just, it just processes the transaction. Try and pay on Apple pay. Can't try and pay on even for like, um, just, you want to buy like a bottle of water in a shop. Can't, can't do any of the payment methods that I, it feels like everywhere else in the world has. See, App Apple but, pay saved me. So, because I, I went out to Marrakesh having just been almost scammed by um, someone pretending to be my bank. Oh, yeah. And gosh. they, so that then I went, when I called the actual bank, they had to cancel my card because they said, well, we can leave it open, but if anything happens to it now, then you're not covered under the, um, the reimbursement. So you then go off to Marrakesh without a working credit card. But luckily, because Apple Pay generates you a new credit card number each transaction that you make, you can still use it abroad. So, right. Thanks to so, if I was in San Francisco, I'd be scuppered. Buggered. It does make you think, like if you're in a foreign country, like a really foreign, you know, somewhere like Marrakesh or San Francisco, where like there's not, there there won't just be like a Halifax branch <laughs> that you can walk into. <laughs> yeah. If you lost your wallet yeah. and your phone, you're absolutely screwed. Like even, well, you go to the embassy, wouldn't you? But then, how do you get? How do you pay for the taxi to get to the embassy? Yeah. Yeah, good point. And then, how do you prove your ID? And what? We have your passport. Have your passport. I just mean like if you if your bum bag gets it, stolen. Oh, uh, your bum bag. <laughs> I think I think the thing I can think of very little worse, uh, insofar as like travel admin is concerned, than being overseas and losing your passport while oh, you're overseas. Yeah. Because then like, yeah, then it's, you know, you think, okay, I'm gonna have to go to the embassy and like somehow, like you put yourself in their shoes. Like how many sort of attempts at getting a passport do they have to deal with on a daily basis? Like I imagine it's not, it's not zero, is it? Like the, the, I hope they have a, <laughs> they'll have people trying it. it on. They're not just like, oh God, well, you, oh, I don't know, I don't know, mate, you're, you're on your own now. Like, God, this has never happened before. Let me check the emergency manual for what to do in this rare situation. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so, what what were your what were the three themes of your trip? Emotionally challenging. 
Wow. Just a very, it's a very intense place. And we're we're planning to do a a full breakdown of this, of of some sales lessons, believe it or not, that you can take from the markets in Marrakesh. But the challenging part of it is obviously the heat and the kind of sensory assault of the obviously completely unregulated pollution from all the like scooters driving past and everything. So, and, and like all the stray cats and dogs and people shouting at you and all that kind of stuff. So you've got that. You've then also got the general sense of bombardment from cold outreach. So I stayed somewhere in the middle of the souks, which is the, the markets where they sell all the, the robes and the musk and the incense and the little, um, little sculptures and plates and tagine bowls and all this kind of stuff. And as you're walking through, you just get constantly outreached, (laughs) basically. Like people come up in your face, like they'll physically try and stop you. They'll try and pull you into the shop. They'll, um, and you know, they, they don't take no for an answer. So you get like objection handled two or three times. They're just testing multiple angles at you, multiple languages. And then I was with my girlfriend and like, because of the dynamic with, with how women are treated, like we, you know, we knew to, um, think about this. So she, she'd like covered up and like, you know, you know, it wasn't showing her shoulders and, um, had like a scarf on and that kind of thing. But you see some people walking around in like hot pants and you're just like, Oh God, you are just going to get harassed so much. Oh really? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, quite an intense and, and, and obviously the, 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 the emotionally, challenging bit of that whole thing is that the the outreach and the desperation all comes from that place it all comes from like a real place of sadness and poverty um so you almost feel like if you don't buy something you're you're not just like rejecting a sale but like that's that's potentially someone who you know is not going to be able to um to break even today and so, and, you know, I, I know that's, that's not, that's not your responsibility as a tourist, but, um, there's a real sense of that. People are quite, it feels different to like someone just asking for money though, right? Like they're, you sort of get the same feeling, but they're like, they've really, they're really trying to do everything they possibly can to still make ends meet and it's, and they're still struggling and it's still not working. Yeah, absolutely. And you're a potential customer and you're preventing that. So cheery stuff. Yeah. Right? So I don't know if I'd recommend it. I think Morocco out in the desert and out in the mountains, beautiful, but staying in Marrakesh is just chaos. And I think like, intense. yeah, do it for a day or two, but you don't really want to be there for long. Like a, like a, like a Zumba session. Yeah. Like if you and I did a Zumba <laughs> session all over the place. While we were both away, a few interesting things have happened, both in the fitness industry and outside the fitness industry. First one we should probably talk about, Will Smith. Will Smith. Getting himself in trouble. I don't know about you, but he was one of my childhood staples. The Mm. the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air was always on at the time when you'd come back from school and... I really liked his music. Did you ever listen to his music? Yeah. He's a, he's a talented guy. <laughs> it's just a weird, like, I thought it was a joke initially. I thought, like, 
it had been like set up as a like an intention grabbing thing to get people to pay attention to that. It was a scripted uh, th- event. Yeah, yeah, scripted. And then like, and then the video is available. So you think, well, it's definitely scripted if they've managed to also like clip it perfectly and also they're showing it and they've not like removed the footage and all that. So it can't be like actual violence. And then you watch it and you think, well, that lo- that looks like he's just hit him. <laughs> <laughs> Like that's pretty, if that's fake, that's pretty convincing. And he looks angry. And when he sits down again and like shouts at him, like, okay, I'm, and some people still think it's fake, but I'm, I'm pretty convinced. So you're right that at full speed, it looks like it could be fake. Whereas if you slow it down, you see that he does make contact. It's just not a very well-aimed slap. As you pointed out, like they it's in their interest. So I think a lot of the criticism was like, oh, maybe the popularity of, of it, of the Oscars has gone down. I'm concerned it's not the Oscars. It is the Oscars, isn't it? I think, I think it is, yeah. But you're right, like it, it's made it go viral, hasn't it? So it would be in their interest if they're in the business of generating eyeballs on content. The other option is that it was just convenient, like it happened, and so they thought, right, let's milk this. Mm-hmm. The same way that when people say that it was a hoax and that the... Like, it may not be that the actual event is, it's just that it's a convenient opportunity for um, recalibrating inflation and interest rates or whatever else. Like, people use whatever the current event is to match their agenda. Yeah. Just rolling yeah. with the punches. I saw, like, the actual um, footage, and then I watched one reaction video or one, like, celebrity comment on it, and it was from... And it was Jim Carrey commenting. <laughs> Have you seen... You've seen much of Jim Carrey stuff? Recently, yeah, he's really loosened the sphincter, isn't he? Yeah. So Jim Carrey's... Jim Carrey, I think, spends a lot of time sitting on a cushion with his eyes closed. Like, he spends... <laughs> <laughs> spends a lot of time meditating. Um, I imagine he's into... He's never said this, but I imagine he's into psychedelics. Or I've never heard him say he's, he's into psychedelics and all sorts of other experiences. Has a, has a very interesting view on life. Um, and, and is very, like, open about that in just like red carpet interviews well like he's, he's good like, mates oh, with their cart tolly really yeah <laughs> right okay so his he just immediately went to like what no one else is really talking about which is like it's just will like reacting to his internal you know like will's just dealing with something some very strong internal um emotions and feelings and that's just how it bubbled out at the time and like everybody's so quick to like blame him and, and all that sort of stuff but like and it's horrible what he's done i think i think it's like the summary like he shouldn't have hit someone and he shouldn't be seen to like be condoning that or like representing that as a good idea but at the same time like he's just someone who's under the in the public eye constantly and has just had a moment where he's lost control for a second and that's the, it that's that's the consequences yeah that that's it like if you are a celebrity you you're going to have cameras on you quite a lot of the time and then add on the fact that you're in an emotionally vulnerable situation where you've you've had your marriage completely like laid out on the carpet for everyone you're getting made fun of for being a cuck or whatever else because his wife had a boyfriend or something i can't i, I don't know this the story but something it, like that I think something like that. that and then someone insults your wife and you're sensitive because she's had she's had alopecia and so yeah like a moment of lost control just means like oh suddenly it becomes a viral a viral hit and you're like oh damn he still shouldn't have hit him 
I should say that. Like, I'm not, I'm not condoning that, like, it's okay because he just lost control, but it, it's just a, it's interesting that no one viewed it as, like, Jim Carrey's views seem to be like, I hope Will's okay. Mm, that was like one of the angles that he that he referenced because, you know, what is, from everything you see of Will Smith, like he's not a violent guy, seems to not be a violent guy. So like, what does his internal environment have to be like for that to be the thing that he resorts to? Um, yeah, and that's, that's partly what makes me think, you know, it's very, he was clearly very emotional. It doesn't make him look good. So that's partly what makes me think you'd have to be paid quite a lot for that to be a scripted thing. Mm -hmm. And for that to affect your reputation and character. And then he's written an apology and all that stuff. So, yeah, I, I do see what you're saying. You're not, you're not condoning it. You're just saying that it's a disproportionate reaction because he had all the cameras on him. Yeah. I, I really hope it's not, like, fully ruined his career. But I think people have got such a short attention span. It's going to get heavily memed for six months and then... You'll remember it the next for quite a while like when will smith's brought up it'll probably be the thing you think about maybe because it's, it's been such a headline worthy bit of news um, Do you know what i was so impressed with how seamlessly chris rock just deflected it. To it i know yeah like just totally diffused the situation <laughs> yeah because uh, imagine being hit unexpectedly like that it's very difficult for that to not bring up like a natural emotional reaction to want to defend yourself or overreact back. You run the risk of that being a comedian. Um, I don't know if you've seen the Ricky Gervais talks at the Oscars. Yeah. Uh -huh. Unbelievable. But he, he's yeah. so close to the line all the time. And he's like mm. talking about no one's safe from this. And especially Weinstein. I know he's your mate and you guys like him, but xyz and some of the, some of the stuff you're like oh ricky but, i saw something from ricky like if ricky was chris rock he wouldn't have taken the mick out of will's wife's hair he would have taken the mick out of will's wife's boyfriend as though like ricky would have gone the step you're like ricky like you can't say that man yeah fearless it's the the problem is like based on the context and seeing the little bits about that i mean it, obviously it's strange like when you have you set up a channel and a talk show so you can do like couples therapy but for the world to see mm. weird and yeah then like it's clearly a i don't know it, it's it's clearly a, a sensitive topic but then it's not it's not so sensitive that you're not willing to broadcast it to everybody the first time you hear it but then if you've grown up as a celebrity from a young age you probably see the idea of broadcasting as a very different yeah as like thing. normal there's been lot, there's lots of stuff come off the back of it, like someone saying, uh, you know, how would, would the reaction have been different if, like, Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, had hit him, for example. Well, because he's huge. Yeah. Or, like, would Will Smith have, have gone up to to Chris Rock if, it, if Chris Rock had been Dwayne Johnson? <laughs> or, like, what if Will's wife had gone up and hit Chris Rock? Like, what would the reaction have been then? There's, like, all these, like thought experiments have come off the back of it and then also people saying that it's terrible for the world of comedy because and just also like being free speech being because the chris rock's role in that situation is to like test the boundaries and say like semi-offensive things to get a laugh and he's done mm. that and he's he's been hit in the face yeah on, it, on live tv 
Well, because the, the, the original comedian was the, the king's jester, wasn't it? And the jester yeah. was the only one that could get away with saying stuff that might take the piss out of the king because he was so silly that he kind of got brushed off. as. And I guess, yeah, the, the thought experiment's very interesting of if it was The Rock or if it was whoever, how does the power imbalance change things? Um, yeah. There was a, I went to see Simon Evans a few weeks ago who is considered a right-wing comedian. I don't think he's actually that right-wing. I think he's just like standard 50-year-old man. Mm-hmm. Um, but because the times have moved around him, he seems right-wing. Um, and he said, and he picked out this, a white woman in the audience, and he said something like, if I called you a fat bitch, then I would be seen as a dick. I'd be seen as the aggressor here. However, and, and because of the the fact that I'm a, a white male British um and you're a woman, this would be the, he said, but if you were sat next to a uh, black lesbian trans woman, now things change. Now we're both the dickheads and, 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 and he kind of was, was playing with the idea of like, depending on the identity stamp that you have and what status that gives you in throwing insults at, at people. Yeah, it does change things. Like if, and, and it, it's why like, it's, it's kind of a comedic trope for, a wife to hit a husband like you know and you'd see even in comedy from like 20 years ago like the kind of friends era or was everyone loves raymond mm-hmm. that kind of show would have that that sort of trope whereas nowadays it would be a bit like oh that's a bit, yeah. a bit icky well it's just moving further and further towards a world where like you can't really say anything unfortunately you can't you just can't hit someone in broad daylight anymore what is this world coming to (laughs) well i think it's more that if you say the wrong thing even at the oscars you get hit (laughs) (laughs) even if you're standing on stage in front of the celebrities and you'd assume like one of the most like everyone's been media trained everyone's like expecting it's not just an audience on a friday night in a local city hall true like all these people have got image at the forefront of their mind because it's their career. And even then, <laughs> you still get hit. Eddie Hall fought Thor in a boxing match and got oh. fairly convincingly beaten. I've not seen this. Versus Thor Bjornsson. Here we go. I mean, they're both big people, aren't they? They are. Goodness yeah. me. Like the ref looks like... Because the thing that stood out to me was Eddie looks small, right? Like Eddie looks short, but I think How so. Tall Eddie's, is Eddie? Eddie's uh, one point nine one meters. So that is like uh, it's like six two. Okay, so he's taller than you. Yeah, he's he's six two, six two, nearly six three. That means the ref must be quite tall, but he still looks like a child. Yeah, he look he looks tiny, doesn't he? he looks diddy. <laughs> but Ed, Eddie is is way taller than than average, and will be. Like, what do you reckon his body weight is there? Like, I think when he was at peak of strongman, he'd have been one hundred and seventy kilos. So he's looking fairly lean. Do you know what I love about heavyweight boxers? Well, just heavyweight people in general. Is this <laughs> <laughs> the folds? The neck folds. It's brilliant. It makes you just want to like just grab it. I feel like no matter how heavy I got, I wouldn't get neck folds. <laughs> I, I can't imagine you with neck folds, for example. I got one once. <laughs> right. When I was 91 kilos. 
You had a neck fold. Yeah. But just at rest. Because Eddie's not like scrunching and trying to get a neck fold. Like he's just standing upright. I think it must have been when I was doing that. Yeah, exactly. So like how heavy would you have to be oh. for the back of your head to look like that? <laughs> for, for your traps to actually push the skin. The skin up, up against and like the back of your head. Up, so you know, like funny. a dog. So yeah, so it, it really... So firstly, Thor is really lean. Yeah. Like is surprisingly lean. Like would not want to fight him. Eddie just got just got beaten, but like it looked like Thor had like really been trained and like knew what he was doing. And Eddie just kind of looked like he was in a bit of a, a bar fight comparably. Yeah, I'm quite impressed actually. Like he, he can really move given how much of a unit he is. Um what do you think in general about like the fact that there's two strong men? professional strongmen top of the top of their game in strongman and they decided to have a boxing match i mean it's it's clearly it's just the way that this decade is going like what was sure i want to say sean paul he's not called that oh i know who you mean uh, uh sean de paul no the the other one <laughs> what is his name sean logan paul logan paul yeah <laughs> we're really up to date with our current oh, yeah. events here goodness there's there's streamer. Streamer. There's there's streaming in that Listening to two people that live under a cave, try and under, discuss under a cave. <laughs> Why not just live in it? That's a nice thing about caves. Yeah, you can, I suppose you've got the choice, haven't you? So it's just like this person's in high profile. This would make for an exciting cockfight. Let's just put these people together. Um, I don't think it's safe taking people who are not trained fighters but have high risk of injury. And just make them punch each other a lot. Well, in training for this, Eddie tore his bicep. Well, I'm not surprised. <laughs> like, there's, a, there's footage of that, actually. You can maybe get get that up. Oh, here we go. He's been training a while for it. Yeah. While that well, it had, to, it had to get postponed because of, because of this. Oh, see. <laughs> so it didn't put him off. Yeah, but that, that's a crazy thing. Is like, so he just goes to hit a, a punch with his right hand and... His bicep just goes. This Remember that peck tear from the guy doing the inclined bench? Oh, uh, yeah. Damn. He's rolled up his arm. That is nasty. So, but you're absolutely right. Like, you didn't even know that had happened and you called it, didn't you? High risk of injury. And, like, <laughs> and there he is with a torn bicep. I just don't know why they pick boxing. Like... Yeah, they're two high-profile guys, and, and yeah, like, it's interesting to watch, but why, like, volunteer to put yourself in a ring and get beaten up by someone? I just think the amount of money that's flying around with that is crazy, Insane. isn't it? Yeah. However, yeah, you're right. would you... So, with Logan Paul and Floyd Mayweather, Floyd is a dangerous person. Extremely. But, but I think it's in the tens of millions that you'd be paid... To do the fight. Well, we'll be able to find out. Would you do it? Would you fight Floyd Mayweather? You don't have to, you don't have to beat him. You just have to... Just go in the ring with him. I'm going to see what the amount is. I think what you'd have to do is just press him away at long distance. Paul is believed to have earned 14 million for his role in the fight, which sold over 1 million pay-per-views last June. 
I wish we had the person that Joe Rogan has who, who just Googles Google stuff for him. Yeah. That would be so much easier. You would I do it for a podcast and you'd like to apply for <laughs> professional Googler? Got to be ready at the drop of a hat to Google ridiculous, pointless things. 10.6 million to fight Floyd Mayweather. So I suppose like Logan Paul is not a professional fighter and seemingly is alive and well. So jokes on Floyd Mayweather, really. Yeah. I think, I feel, yeah, I think I probably would. Just because that's like, that's an amount of cash where earning that at, at 30 years old, you, you sort it, aren't you? Managed so, correctly, that's wealth for the rest of your life. I mean, even if it puts you out for a year, Doesn't it's matter. a good deal. Yeah. Like, as long as you can get back to normal, mostly, after a year. I just don't think it would put you out for a year. Because all, be... all you're going to go to a, a proper boxing trainer who's just going to basically talk to you about how you're not going to win. All you need to do is protect your head. Yeah, I, I, th I think for me, I'm thinking like, you want to avoid an intracranial hemorrhage, <laughs> but survive it. Otherwise, you'd be okay. There's like a weird, like little arrogant part of me that thinks like, how big is Floyd Mayweather? Like, I could probably I fancy my chances. Well, and like in in a thousand fights with Floyd Mayweather, you'd probably win a couple. That's a lovely way of looking at it. So I maybe have like a two or three in a thousand chance of doing okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm completely underestimating. Maybe it's zero in a thousand. Like this might be the same as like someone saying that you'd be able to outlift Andy Hall on one Andy in a thousand Hall. meets or something. <laughs> Do you say Andy Hall? Is that not the the um, Yorkshire Andy Bolton? Uh, Andy Bolton. Is that like if Eddie Hall and Andy Bolton had a kid? <laughs> The real brute. They'd have to call him Andy, wouldn't they? Andy Hall. Um, I, so, so Floyd Mayweather's been hit a lot for a living. So very comfortable with being hit. He's been hit by people who are way better at boxing than me. Like in a different league to me. So even if I landed one punch and I'd be really pleased with myself, that's just Monday morning <laughs> for Floyd, isn't it? Floyd has to deal with that Monday to Friday, nine to five for a living. I if I get hit... It, isn't it? It's not just, can you land a punch on Floyd? No. <laughs> so I, am I capable of actually physically coordinating myself to land one punch on Floyd? Possibly not. So, and let's, let's say I do. That's normal for Floyd. If Floyd lands one punch on me, that is so far outside of what I'm used to experiencing on a weekly basis yeah. that I'd be yeah. all over the place. But 10.6 million quid. So can I think about it? Yeah, like, you, you don't need fine. an answer now. You, you, you're going to speak to Floyd in the morning, aren't you? So, like, I'll, I'll let you know by by the time you speak to Floyd. Fine, I'll send him a text. I'll let him know that. Would you do? Would you do it? I think I would. Like, because the other option is you just run at him head first and hope but that he knocks you out quickly. It's boxing, though, isn't it? Oh, I see. Right, you, you're thinking like, how do I end the fight with minimum? <laughs> like. Just accept that you're not going to be able to beat him up. Like, just go. <laughs> <laughs> Give him your chin. Here's another question off the back of that. Would you rather fight Floyd Mayweather or Thor? I'm not sure. Because, <laughs> I mean, if you've seen this guy, 
he's just such a, a dodgy man. So this is MMA for people listening. And this is... This is the guy who's known to be the best dodger. And there's just loads of clips of people trying to punch him in the head. <laughs> he's just got them a slippery head. I mean, watching MMA fights go, the ones that the last, the violence, I know that's an obvious thing to say, but there are some seemingly some rules in boxing versus MMA where people aren't just getting like elbowed in the, in the head over and over and over again. <laughs> so. it's, yeah, it's pretty nice. Until the ref like dawdles over and goes yeah, like, like, okay. Come on, that's lads, enough. that's enough. We've all had a good time. See, that's a clever title for a video. 25 million views. Regular people try punching a UFC fighter. That's the content we came here for. You just can't help, but you're just desperate to know what happened. <laughs> Tell me what happened. The final thing that's happened, I mean, we're going to be the entire podcast just summarizing <laughs> events that aren't even current anymore by the time you're listening. Matt does fitness. Uh, who is a very well-known YouTuber in the fitness industry, did a video the other day that appeared on my Discover YouTube uh, newsfeed saying that he had torn his Achilles tendon and did a video where he walks into the doctor's surgery on Harley Street. Is that like oh. super posh? Like super, Yeah, very, very expensive very private doctors. So it was all filmed. It was really interesting. Um, and he was like showing him on ultrasound that, you know, the, the, the tendon had fully snapped and he was feeling it and it was all squidgy and all that sort of stuff. And I just sat and, and Matt was like, understandably, reasonably upset. Like, because it's a, you know, he makes his living in a gym, basically. Like a lot of his videos involve him training. A lot of his content involves him being physically active, suddenly being like, you're on crutches for however many months. And the doctor was like, it's a year to get back to your current capacity. Mm. And I was watching it and I said to Becca, like, I just feel like I'm going to do my Achilles one day. So I, I, I said to her, I watched the video of him talk, being explained that he had the, the, the tear. And I watched the video of him actually getting it operated on and recovering the next day just to sort of prepare myself for it. I don't know why I feel like this. <laughs> But it just feels like I know like a weird number of people who've torn their Achilles tendon. And it seems like a, a, a really debilitating injury. And I want your thoughts on it. Fine. <laughs> it's, so you're right. It's a real ball ache to, to have done because of the time it takes to recover. And it's such a major tendon that, you know, to reset it, whether you go conservative or surgical, it's going to be a long time. Um, this is totally baseless, but I feel like the people who do their Achilles are quite turgid as people. <laughs> so we know Chris. So it's not baseless, is it? It's it's just an observation based an observation. on a limited amount of data, but across the sample that we have, it's consistent. Yeah, both both Chris and Matt Does Fitness are both very turgid men i've not even felt matt does fitness you can just like tell, can't you? you can tell you can yeah he just looks like a turgid man i'm sure if we come across him again i'll, I'll ask him excuse me do you mind if i just can like... you describe to me in in kind of more simple language what do you mean by turgid so the sensation when you feel chris's forearm 
is like a heavily overfilled water balloon <laughs> filled with syrup or something like a thick liquid. Where you can sort of, you can feel the surface tension, can't you? It feels, yep. you give his forearm a bit of a squeeze and you can tell that there's a, there's a, there's a membrane that's being tested to its maximum capacity. If you squeeze it hard enough, his head inflates a little bit. Because <laughs> the fluid's just got to go somewhere. So the yeah. definition of, of turgid is swollen and distended or congested. So bang on. That's what. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's I think you actually coined that with Chris. <laughs> so I, I think, think I remember. Turgid one day. I remember turgid from like GCSE biology because I'm sure something happens in plants when they absorb absorb water from the ground. Maybe it's cells where a cell goes turgid when it's full. <laughs> Yeah. So that's what Chris, if anyone's wondering, if anyone watches Modern Wisdom and you think, what does Chris feel like when you feel Chris's forearm? That's what he feels like. So now you can have the multi-sensory experience of Modern Wisdom. The feel cast. So, so you're saying, unless you're turgid, nothing to worry about. Well, no, I, I think <laughs> that's, that's quite reductive of me to say that. But um, I think to, to, mini to, to minimize your risk, it's just got to be, you need to stretch and condition your Achilles tendon as much as possible and don't throw yourself into a new sporting, um, like a, a new kind of extreme sport without gradually letting yourself into it. So Chris did his playing cricket for the first time in 10, 12 years. And in between those 10 or 12 years, he used to play. And then he started doing like a lot of lifting, a lot of CrossFit, a lot of quite specific training, and then did something that was very different that involves rapid deceleration so so i didn't tell you how matt did his on purpose because I, I imagine similar i wanted mechanism. to see if you gave this piece of advice which you have done so congratulations you passed the test thank you the doctor test <laughs> matt i think did it doing five aside playing five aside i i have so many examples of fitness clients that will send that have sent me a message saying hi johnny uh i'm gonna have to take a break from coaching I have done my list the injury from basically participating in a sport that they used to do seriously on a Wednesday evening with their mates and like they've done their meniscus, they've injured their ankle, they've dislocated their shoulder and it's all from like exactly that pattern. So they, they used to play rugby really competitively. They used to do football, they used to play tennis, they used to play cricket. They don't do it for 10 years. They do it once on a Wednesday evening. And then they're out for tra out training for a year. Yeah. It's it's a shame. Like it's the, the weekend warrior syndrome because you've got maybe you've got all the neuromuscular coordination. You've got all of the, you know, different aspects of your conditioning that are still quite good. And then other things that have deconditioned quite, quite a lot over, yeah. over that time. And it's similar to people who tear a pec it's a high probability that they have been taking steroids. Yep. Eddie Hall tore his bicep. It's not a um, it's not a common injury in someone who isn't on steroids. And the reason being is that different adaptations happen at different rates. And so if you grow muscle very fast, but your connective tissue doesn't catch up, then there's a mismatch, isn't there? And so when exposed to a new type of stimulus, like punching a bag, your bicep just goes, mm, no, thank you. Didn't like that. Yeah, that's enough of that. 
the thing that it made me think about was, well, like without sounding like too much of a of a plug for online coaching, like for, I imagine. So if I was if I put myself in Matt's shoes, and like Chris was very fortunate in this respect as well because he could continue modern wisdom from the sofa, right? In fact, he did, didn't he? Literally, like made a portable <laughs> podcast studio. But there are there are so many people where, like their profession. So obviously, a personal trainer is a good example of that. Where you get an injury like that, and you have to like elevate your leg for three weeks and you can't walk like that is directly that is your income like you just can't if you're self-employed you can't just like oh sorry guys can you just keep paying me for the sessions i can't do this week next week week after and obviously everyone's had like an experience of that throughout covid right like a very i think that that exposed like wow i'm really location dependent time dependent to to generate the income so made me glad that propane is propane for when I inevitably do do hurt my Achilles tendon. That you can still run ads with your foot elevated, <laughs> whereas there's many jobs that you can't. It has to be really severe or the ads would have to be really complicated for me to not run ads <laughs> with, a, with my foot elevated. If I'd start requiring my toes, then it will change platforms, I think. Very much. I don't think Matt should have gone to Harley Street. Interesting. I mean, you can if you want, but surgical training is pretty good under the NHS. Do you think he would have been um, able to film in, like... So so there's, there's a question, and maybe he did it so that he could film freely. Mm. And also, like, they'd be much more amenable to talking to the camera and saying, okay, here's what I'm going to be doing here. And so maybe he did it for that. And also, like, I think once you get to a point where you've got enough money to just go to Harley street for lols, why not? Yeah. Like uh, presumably it's better. <laughs> like it must be in some way better. You've got more options. So I suppose that's how it's better. Right. I wouldn't say necessarily that the quality of the surgery would be better. Okay. But the, like the, the sort of the tertiary experiences, like the waiting time, the waiting room, the before oh, definitely. and after care. All those. And the level of choice that you get. Like in NHS, if you have a surgeon that's used to a particular method for doing the procedure, like that's pretty much it. And you could maybe ask him like, oh, please, can you do the McLaren procedure rather than the McBurney's? But a lot of the time they'll be like, well, no, this is how I work. I would want the McLaren one just because it sounds better to me. Like McLaren sounds like Formula One engineering. McBurney's sounds like a diner that you might come across like on the A1 late at night. Next when, to a little chef. When like Weatherby is, isn't open anymore. You have to go to McBurney's and the toilet's a bit minging and you've got to get the key from the person that works behind the, the desk. Oh God, yeah. You can hear the and kids they, being like, no, mom, I don't want to go to McBurney's. It's your only option. They don't do hot food. sit down. They don't do what? hot food. They don't do hot drinks. <laughs> so I don't yeah. have one. Fine. What else are we going to talk about? How long have we been going oh, for? Oh, well, Two. the final thing was on Matt does fitness. Oh, yeah. Passing a drugs test. Yeah. Which, honestly, we were very surprised by. Matt, if you're watching, you probably, well, you, you may or may not remember our faces because uh, we, we competed. I think, did you compete in the same weight category as him? He was one above me, I think. So I think he was in the 105s. I was in the 93s at the time. 
you were in the 83s? Yeah. This was at British so, Nationals in Bournemouth? It was. Well, we also saw I Mike remember, Samuels. I, yeah. And Stephen Manuel. <laughs> Stephen Manuel. <laughs> Eating bagels with a toaster that he'd brought himself and plugged into the lighting <laughs> unit. So seeing Matt does fitness, I can't remember his last name, but Morcia. seeing him... Matt Morcia. Okay. Seeing him in the 105s and thinking he is pretty lean mm. for 105 and he looks very different to the rest of the powerlifters in the 105, yeah. like very different. Um, so Johnny and I were convinced that we were just like, oh, he's on drugs. And that, and, and everyone always says on his, um, on his videos, like, oh, come on, you're just taking steroids, like come off it, mate. And the reason we thought so is just because he's such an outlier that like, what's more likely that he's a total genetic freak or that he is on drugs and actually fair play to him. He did a polygraph test. He did a blood and a urine test. He really went for the three pronged fuck you for everyone to be like, right, I am not on drugs. So you can leave me alone. Yeah. Great. Fair play. Like that to do that. Cause he doesn't even have to, does he? Like, yeah. There's no like he could have got away with his whole career just being on everything and just being like, no, no, I'm natural. In fact, there's just only two reasons like why you would do that. One of them, is that you are not on drugs and you're desperate to prove it to everybody. The other is that you are definitely on drugs and you feel like it's weakening your brand. So you get a lot of people in on it and do a video about it. I feel you, like... You find the, the head of WADA. Is that who it was? <laughs> oh, no, it was the... Uh, the that's The head of WADA is called Dick Pound. Used to be called um, Dick Pound. It's not anymore. It's a new guy. Great shame. Yeah, Richard Pound, I think, is now doing something else. Uh, I mean, great shame is also a bad name, but great shame. As <laughs> a bad joke, G shame. Um, great shame. But uh, it was ahead of the WNBF drug testing world natural yeah. bodybuilding federation. Um, yeah, I, I he's he's one of those people who. So here's another interesting one. So Mike Thurston, if anyone's come across him before. Um, they actually weirdly, it's strange this. I've never really thought about this before, but we like, we didn't know Mike, but we very good friends with people who are very good friends with Mike. Mike was in Newcastle, like during the Ziz era when fitness was becoming like more and more trendy, being in the same gym as him multiple times, know people who know him very, very well. Both him and Matt does fitness. Both have very successful YouTube channels we've met both of them in person and I think we both of them, if someone woke us up at 2am and said, you've got to answer this question now, I'm going to shoot you in the head. What's the answer? Are they natural or not? We'd have probably both said they're not natural, wouldn't we? Yeah, that's that's true. It, it's really cast doubt into everything now. I mean, Zach Ainsley is another one. He's in, he's in town at the moment. I, I messaged him the other day. We might be able to get him on the podcast for a, uh, a chat about him going viral. We were his first sponsor, we interestingly. Were, we did his diet plan for a while, and I remember he wanted to include Wattsits in his diet plan. I have a really clear memory of that. <laughs> I remember us trying to work out how many grams of Wattsits he'd have to eat to hit the macros we gave him. Like, what's the maximum Wattsits that he could Such a eat in a day? Thing. I mean, they're nice, Wattsits, aren't they? They are really good. Um, how long's the podcast been so far? It has been 36 minutes plus 17. Yusuf's working it out. So we could, 
mm. end it there mm. 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 and then do the business one as a separate episode yeah so anything else you want to talk about anything else that's happened will smith matt does fitness um i think for next week we can cover <laughs> louis question on how to use social media tactics that successful pts use while still being yourself and the great debate battle of the shitans we are going to finally put to bed the answer to whether you should use your calendar as a to-do list the battle of the shitans <laughs> i'll tell you what how, we've got what like five minutes left yeah. maybe 10 minutes we really squeezed it out what are you doing for diet and training at the moment oh good question johnny this wasn't even planted no but this is full i'm just so i'm so creative you know i just it's a burden <laughs> so on the first of january this year i did johnny's goals process which is the, the process that i think has got the most positive feedback from everyone who's actually done it and i'm on to now my my second quarter which is the phase two of my diet and training so i am dieting down i finished my my mass phase and yeah i've switched gear my main focus is to finally get flares which is a pommel horse movement that i've been looking to get for a while and at the same time just doing maintenance lifting and getting down to 76 kilos what are you weigh now 81 oh that's a big drop it is um i just i was getting uncomfortably fat and it it makes such a difference with tumbling like one or two kilos i can yeah i can imagine so are you are you going to use macro factor probably not. so probably not going to are you i'm actually using chronometer but i do love macro factor as well i think it's, i might um, do I've actually been getting annoyed with Macrofactor recently. Oh. Interestingly. Yeah. But we'll talk Can't about that. Can't say that. We're an affiliate. I know. Not allowed oh, to. <laughs> um, it's just a headline. is clickbait to try and get people to think it's bad. And then actually I tell them to sign up and how it's really good. Ten reasons why you shouldn't use Macrofactor. One, get Macrofactor to find out why. Um, <laughs> the, so the, um, the mass phase was you were doing Renaissance periodization stuff, right? Like one of their templates. Yeah. So I'm going to do a breakdown of my experience on their program Exciting. as well because it's very different to how i'm used to training yeah well i think both of us are used to like performing the movement rather than exercising the muscle yeah that's fair to say <laughs> like the way that i think of a barbell row or any movement is like what weight am i using and how many reps am i doing and how do i use my weight over time whereas i think to really use those templates to their to their maximum it's like which movement do I pick to really maximize like the muscle, the, the contraction of the muscle I'm training? Oh yeah. It's a total flip on its head. Like, yeah, you're, you're used to doing how, how many reps of this weight of bench press can I get while it's still being legal <laughs> compared legal, to legal in an IPF sense, not like <laughs> a Northumbrian police going to break down the door and say like, you're going to do that son. Like, how, how many laws can you commit? how many crimes can you commit while doing a bench press? Like you've got to do it naked in a public gym while listening to pirated movies yep. nice. and doing it on stolen equipment. And yeah, yeah. you did quite a few that I'm impressed off the cuff as well. Um, it's not, not my first very illegal, very illegal bench press. 
but yeah and this time it's like on an expired visa like... nice nice go overseas <laughs> without a passport somehow and do bench press with a stolen equipment naked um on illegal drugs as well shouting hate speech nice yeah nice um Yeah, so, but instead, instead of doing illegal bench press, you were doing, I fully lost my train of thought, you were doing like proper like squeezing my, I need to feel my chest this time. How did yeah. you find that? Because that's a huge departure from probably your entire training career. Yeah, and the, most of my training career is very much been powerlifting focused, obviously, where there's three movements that really, if that was all you did in the gym, still fine, you'd you? be okay. Yeah. And it's gone from that to having five or six movements per session for two sets each. The way that I imagine it was for you, I, I really hope you can pull this image up or this, this clip up because it just, it, to me, summarizes how Mike Isretel trains and how he programs. It, is it PH deadlift? Oh, The yeah. clip of him doing hack squats on the final set where he's in so much pain that he genuinely looks like the facial expression he pulls at the end looks it's just genuine terror in it do you know the clip i'm talking about i do i'm trying to find i think it's uh rp strength it'll be on it rp strength may have shared it or it's definitely on uh is it ben pollock is that his name that is him if you're not following ben pollock he's on... a big big man <laughs> he's a big man the thing that's most impressive about him is that he, while doing like bodybuilding style training, just also happens to. This is no, this. <laughs> <laughs> That's not even the clip I'm talking about. That's Charlie. That's the head of uh, marketing for RP. Oh, is it? Is that who is you thought called? I meant? Because so there's Ben. Oh right, I see. <laughs> He's lying on the floor now. I think yeah, he must have done it. Charlie's facial Very. expressions. That no, that isn't it. So that that's just how I imagine your training's been the whole time. But <laughs> just the, really unpleasant. The thing is, like, I you don't have Mike Isretel less shouting at you saying like, oh, you know, one one more set, one more set. It's just you in a gym on your own. Yeah. You, so I've not been able to to push myself as um, <laughs> as much to to death as <laughs> as these guys. Um, I th the thing is, I don't think you need to. I think I'm not... Oh, yeah, that's it. <laughs> he looks really frightened there. That's not even, the, that's not even it. <sighs> this is going to upset me if I can't find this, and I don't think I'm going to be able to. Are you going to continue training like that, or are you going to go back to... So during the diet, I'm going to go just five by five. Just take a... And it's going to feel like such a relief to just do like standard strength focus stuff and take the pressure off. Um, and that's really because our philosophy with training during fat loss is that it's kind of a waste of time and effort to train like a bodybuilder when you're in a fat loss phase. As many, many of you listening will agree. Um, but then once I'm back in a, a mass phase again, I'll, I'll switch on the, uh, the Ben Pollack mode. I think I found it. Oh yes, but it's it's probably too long to. Um, if you can see his uh, 
you probably can't. Like as he continues doing this set of hack squats, he just starts looking more and more afraid at the top of <laughs> the top of each rep. But um, we should at some point we should react to um, some of the stuff that's going around about Mark Ripito and some of the criticism. He seems to <laughs> be slowly losing it as well. But that's because he's in, if you've listened to our episode where we talk about how not to do copywriting, yep. Mark Ripito uh, is unfortunately in one of those um, subsets of, of American oldish men who, when COVID came around, just went full anti-everything. Yeah. Like, like, I think it started with the interview with Mike Touchet <laughs> a couple of years ago. That was the beginning of the end. And where, like, Mike is just sat there going, like, why did I agree to do this? And then since then, so someone's compiled a clip. I think you might have even sent it to me. Someone's compiled a montage of all of the ridiculous things that Mark Repito has been saying recently. Um, the other, just to end on, a, I guess, a slightly sad note is the other thing that's happened is Louis Simmons has very sadly passed away, which is... He was one of the OGs. Yeah, I think, like, probably the vast majority of training programs these days, certainly anything written by a strength coach, will be influenced by Louis Simmons and Westside Barbell. If you don't know who Louis Simmons is, was, there is a Netflix program or a Netflix documentary called West Side versus the World. I think it's on Netflix. Um, that just shows really? like behind the scenes of West Side Barbell and all the stuff that went on there and how crazy that place is. Um, and also like West Side training programming and how it works. Produced like some of the strongest people ever to have lived. So very cool. Very sad, but very, very cool guy. I didn't know there was a documentary. That is a that is a great way to there's loads of, I mean if you if you just google Westside Barbell like the journalists have like gone and spent days there and documented what happens and like the lifters clearly don't want the journalists there and Louis just gives like <laughs> one word answers to people a lot of the time um or will like he's very sort of uh he's like the guru on the mountain you know that'll come down like explain his methods and then disappear again but um yeah maybe we should do what, do a Westside Barbell program that would be a nice jolt nice change from bodybuilding training through to just max effort max effort squat real real handbrake turn of a, a training program but yeah i'll i'll give it a go just in in honor just out of respect for louis i'll i'll do a west side program i'm looking forward to pancreas lean yusuf returning me too is that the is that the target the lean as possible maybe not pancreas lean I'll, I'll i'll just i'll do it to the level of um I don't want to drive myself to total insanity. And because I don't have a coach this time, maybe, well, I don't have a diet coach this time. I've got a flare coach. <laughs> I'm going to have to rely on you, Johnny, for if I start to of become course. unreasonably mental, I need you to step in and feed me almond croissants. Wagon wheels. Uh, so I'm, interestingly, I'm, I am still dieting. So I took a few weeks break. I got basically my, like, I'm, I've been stuck at like, up and down around 94, 95 kilos. And I've decided over the next probably eight weeks, I am just going to push and get as close to 90 as I can. Oh, yes. So, okay. And then, do you think you'd compete? 
feels silly not to if you're under 93. I, I just, I don't know. So the other the, I mean, the goal I had was, was to combine lifting with a, a 5K time. Um, just because it's like boring. Not, I find it boring not having a goal. But um, if I got to sub 93 and was could retain my current strength, then yeah, it would be uh, it would be very tempting. I don't know what it'll be like being. I think I'm leaner now, at like 95 than I was at 92 when I was competing. Wow. I mean, if you got down to sub to, to 92 walking around, it would be a. I feel like it would be a new thing for you to just comfortably walk into that weight category. Yeah. That was because that was the thing about it. Like I had, I always had to, um, like I remember traveling to Finland, being on the plane, um, knowing that I was like 90, 93.9 worrying like, oh God, like normally when you travel, like you retain loads of water. What if I do, what do I do if I get there and I'm over the weigh-ins? Cause it's a two hour, it's a strict two hour weigh-in for international stuff. But yeah, being stressful. able to just step on the scales, like after having breakfast and a and some water, <laughs> amazing. Yeah, <laughs> just what you want when you have to lift the heaviest weights you ever lifted. So we'll be dieting at the same time. So if either of us go crazy, you'll get to witness it over the podcasts and just write in and say, "Hey guys, you've gone crazy. You should stop dieting." <laughs> if the podcast slowly start, like more and more of the content. It becomes focused around how much like Danish bread we're eating. Yeah, or if, if the reaction um, videos are just us looking at videos of food and chefs preparing meals. <laughs> just in silence. <laughs> or just in the background. <laughs> what a lovely noise for everyone that would have been. What, um, final question, then we'll go, what are your macros? They are... He doesn't know. He doesn't know. <laughs> I've got a calorie target. I don't have a macro target. You've got a protein target. 150. Low. (laughs) I'm testing out the Menno hypothesis. Okay. And then what's your calorie target? 2,200. You've got a high day or all low? Just all low. I'm going aggressive. Have one high day, one, one day of maintenance for me. Do it for me. Fine. I'll do it. Two hundred is low, man. It's funny because I'm I'm hungry already, and I, I'm convinced that it's psychological. It's as soon as you, as soon as you tell yourself, "Oh, I'm not allowed to have more food." Is today day instantly. one? On two two. Today's day two. Right. Yeah. Um, whereas when you're bulking, it, you you food suddenly becomes tedium. You're yeah. like, "Oh, I've got to fit in another two meals today." I think it's probably it's real that you're that you're actually hungry, but it's just the like the initial shock. And then I think end of the week, you should be okay. And then you'll probably have a grace period of two, three weeks and then you'll start getting hungry. And then yeah. it's just how long, great. Can you, <laughs> how <laughs> crazy can you make your food choices to battle the constant desire for me- mechanical fullness? Yeah. I've stocked up on cauliflower. I think in a few weeks I'm going to be ordering the, the zero calorie noodles, you know, the konjac noodles. I mean, they're awful. Well, they're awful when you're satiated and not starving. Yeah, but they're just delicious mm. when oh, you're dieting. Mm. <laughs> um. All three calories of them. <laughs> well, because you eat them and there's the illusion of being full for about 10 minutes and that goes away. You get to chew something. Mm. 
like there's a substance that you're chewing and you think, oh, okay, well, that's probably going in me. I'm, a... <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited though, man. When was the last time you died? 2013. Wow. So, wow. Pretty good. So is this the first time you've been like legitimately hungry since 2013? I think so, yeah. I mean, what a what a thing to or say. Or it's the first time you've been hungry and wouldn't just think, I'll go get some food that I'm not going to yeah. track, that I don't care what, like, because you, between, much to everyone listening's frustration, between you getting Absolene in 2013 and now, you've pretty much maintained Absolene without tracking anything for the best part of a decade. Yeah, I think just the power of a, a good reversal and a naturally underactive appetite. Um, unfortunately, the, the, and the, the reason I think I do have to diet is not actually the bulk. It's, I mean, that's pushed it over the edge, but working as a junior doctor, smashing your circadian rhythm, having serum cortisol levels just permanently at 9,000 is enough to knack your physique. I just, over those two years, I think I just progressively lost muscle and added fat. Do you think your like training stress was lower? Or your your volume, I should say. Do you feel feel like your your training workload was low when you were when you were working as a doctor? I think it was. Yeah, I I couldn't tolerate as much training load yeah. as well. Like you just come off the back of like four days of nights. That sounds like an odd way of saying it, but you know what I mean. Four four thirteen hour night shifts, yeah. and, and then, then you like a high volume train. leg session. Just feels like <laughs> the wrong thing to do, doesn't it? As, yeah, as awful. a doctor feels like that should be something you should go that's not very good that's not very good for me i'll not do that <laughs> right sorry for the long rambling podcast and everyone hopefully that was uh at least somewhat entertaining lovely so next week we will do the great debate the great debate i've just remembered i didn't say how i traumatized mike when i returned from marrakesh um so i came into the house and he had his AirPods in with the noise cancelling at the end of the kitchen. So and so he didn't see me come in and he was taking the bins out. So I shut the door, came in, hid behind the kitchen door, crouched down like this, <laughs> um, waiting for him to come back. And he came back up the stairs, looked down at me and screamed for about six or seven seconds. Oh, my God. So he thought you were in Marrakesh at the time. Yeah, just oh like, like did that like full extensor reflex, just like. Was he naked? No, um, but thank I, goodness. Like, then I I had to I, I gave him a hug and said like, <laughs> had to had to kind of settle him. Um, we were chatting like ten minutes later. He was like, "God, I think my heart rate is still like still hasn't <laughs> returned to normal." Yes, yeah. When you get a proper proper scare, it does. I think it takes a while to, to come down from the the surprise. Yeah, it was a real guttural primal oh. scare. I, I, mean, oh, I didn't, mean okay. to, didn't mean to traumatise him. I just wanted to, you know, <laughs> frighten him. It's like that time that you gave our friend Ben nose talk at a pile of things. <laughs> but I guess we'll we'll talk about that in the next episode. Oh, <laughs> what a cliffhanger! <laughs> <laughs>